Praise the Lord. Well, if that's not our determination, we're done whooped, ain't we? We gotta be more determined than we've ever been before by the grace of God. Satan will try everything he can to stop us. And if you're stoppable, you will be stopped. But if you can't be stopped, ain't enough devils out of hell. There ain't enough people. There ain't even enough angels to stop you because you're unstoppable. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, I was so happy when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. God bless you. Let's turn together tonight, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. Are you happy to be in the house of God? Let's read this together. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. So we got the prophet saying one thing, and we got Saul saying something different. And apparently he's totally convinced that he did. Well, I'll tell you, the most deceiving thing that there is in the world is the human heart, yours and mine. That's right. A lot of us can catch people when they're trying to deceive us, but our greatest deception we have to watch out for is us. Jeremiah said, who can know the heart? You know it's the truth. Notice what he says whenever he says this. And Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for your word. We thank you for your presence that we feel here, Lord, tonight. Thank you in the songs and in the worship. It's awesome to be in your presence. Lord God, we thank you for that. It's life-changing. In the word, we believe it's not only life-changing, but after a while, it's going to be body-changing. We thank you for the opportunity that we could be gathered here, and we pray for each one that's here. We pray for those who would love to be here and cannot be here. Uh, many different ones dealing with sicknesses and things in their bodies. And Lord, we just call their, their requests before you, Father. We're certainly feeling burden for Brother Darrell and Lord God, he's prayed for many of us whenever we've been sick and going through things and we want to pray for him tonight, Lord. I know Father's back has been so bad this time, Lord, and Father even told me today he was having to crawl because he was in so much pain standing upright. So he's been having to get down on his hands and knees and crawl. But I pray the Spirit of God would move for our brother. In the name of Jesus, may this thing leave him, Lord. Dear God, so many needs and requests, and we're just asking that you would take care of them all tonight, Father. Speak to us from your word. May we be benefited as we've gathered here tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. 
Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. You know, one of the greatest battles that you'll ever have in life, or I'll ever have in life, is being able to find our position, and then once we find it, staying in it. It may seem simple to you. Well, we just find what we're supposed to do, and it ain't no big deal. But when you really look at it, it's one of the greatest battles of life. You see, the reason that God so desires for us as his people to find our position and stay therein is because that's the very opposite of what Satan's program was in the very beginning. Lucifer was not, uh, as we know him today, of course, he was the light bringer, day star. A couple of different synonyms are the meaning of his name. And he was not created the devil. He was not created Satan, but he was created Lucifer. But he, he got out of his position, out of his place. Now, what, what happened when he got out of his place? He was not happy being out of his place by himself. So he went over in the north side of heaven, and he started preaching to a bunch of angels. Now, remember, they'd never sinned. They'd never stole. They'd never done anything wrong in their existence. We don't even know how long they lived up to this time. Might have been eons of ages. It might have been hundreds of thousands of years And they was righteous before God, and they praised God, and they worshiped him, and they loved him. That's what they were made to do. But Satan began to preach to them. One out of his position began to preach to others to try to pull them out of their position. So then these angels left their position. So every devil that we fight, every demon spirit out of hell at one time was an angel of God. They were holy, they were righteous, they were pure, they were sinless, they worshiped God, they even loved God, they served God and served God's purpose for a time, but then they left their position. What happens when he brings it on the earth? Then he comes and he gets inside the thing that was the closest to the man, which was the serpent. Had a place for a soul, but didn't have a soul. So he talks him out of his place. He submits his body to the devil. Satan steps inside this body and he wants to use this body for what reason? To get somebody else out of their place, which was who? Eve. So what did he do? He talked her out of her position. Once he got her out of her place, she was not satisfied being out of her position, so she wanted to get somebody else out of their position. Now you realize that's exactly what Satan wants to do to all of us as the people of God. He'll never be happy by getting one person in the church out of their place, but he'll want to get that one and that one and that one and this one and that one. Same thing in a family. Satan will never be happy and satisfied by just say getting a father out of his position, but he'll want to get the father. He'll want to get the mother. He'll want to get a son. He'll want to get a daughter. He'll want to get a granddaughter. Why? Satan loves to to pull people out of their position. Why? Because he knows it tears everything around that individual totally, completely apart. And it will turn their whole world, as it were, upside down. So whenever Satan found this in the beginning and he saw the consequence that it brought, so he could never make God turn against his son. He could never make God do anything in the form of judgment against his son. 
But if he could ever get his son and his daughter out of their position, that would force the hand of God to do something that Satan wanted God to do all along. But he couldn't make God do that himself. But if he could talk the son and daughter into doing it, then it would bring a penalty from God upon their lives. Now, you know that God did not want to drive them out of the Garden of Eden. It broke his heart. It made God feel no doubt absolutely just so torn apart. And the prophet said he couldn't even stand it himself. If they were not going to be in the Garden of Eden, he didn't even want to be there himself. So when Adam and Eve left, guess what? God vacated the garden himself and God has never been back. As a matter of fact, the Garden of Eden has been lost. It was in the land of Egypt and they've never found it to this day. Why? The garden is not a garden without God's children being there. He knows what it's like to be alone and he ain't gonna be alone again. So how important is it then that every one of us, beginning with me, being the pastor of the church, every deacon, every trustee, every member of the church, every song leader, every musician, all of those that hold offices, every one of us to find our position. Now as a child of God, your position has many aspects. First of all, you're in Christ Jesus as an individual. In Christ Jesus, you stand alone. You have your own baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have your own walk. You have your own disposition in the spiritual economy of God. But then you're not in Christ alone in the sense that he has a mystical body. Then he has a local body. And then you find your place in that body. And there, if you're a singer, you sing. If you're a piano player, you play. If you're a deacon, you do what a deacon's supposed to do. And Satan will fight you from the time you find your place until the day you're dead to try to get you out of that position. Anybody gonna preach with me tonight? But I believe there's one of the scriptures of the people of God that was prophesied in the book of Joel and it is a prophecy of the last day. And it was about a mighty army that would rise in the last day. And one of the great significances of this army was they would not break their ranks. Now notice this is a prophetic utterance of the last day of the army of God. So every member will be in Christ and they will be in the body where God positions them and they will not break the rank. Now me understands what that means, breaking your rank. So it would be as if though that we would take it say from the natural sense of our military. Then a man would be, we'll say a five star general. Well, a guy that just come in the army last week, there's no way that he's gonna be able to break rank and say, you know what, I'm tired of being a buck private. I don't, nobody recognizes me and my pay is right on the bottom. I mean, I'm as low as you can go. There ain't nobody lower than me except the dog I saw out there in the parking lot. Everybody else in here is above me and I'm tired of it. So I'm gonna be a five-star general. I want when I come around for people to salute me, I want them to say, sir, I want them to this and that and the other. I'm fixing to break my rank. No, what you're fixing to do is get your nose broke because they're fixing to discipline you like you have never had a whooping in your life. 
because you're not fit. You're not qualified to go from a week in the army to being a five-star general. Somebody say amen. Well, you see, it's the same way in the army of God that God chooses whom he will. Now, I know a lot of folks don't believe in the ministry, but thank God the real elect do. And the prophet tells us in 1962, putting on the whole army of God, that God has placed in his body commanding officers. Now, he doesn't just say those words and leave us to guess at what those commanding officers are, but he goes to identifying them by position. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And he said those are God's commanding officers officers, then that don't mean they're better than the laity. It don't mean that they're, you know, they're going to live on the other side of heaven and it's going to be brighter gold and more sunshine and better this and better that. No, they're actually servants to the rest of the body. But yet God wants an army that will be able to each one find their position by the calling of God. Now they asked Brother Random a very simple question, yet a great profound question. And the question answered, and they said, Brother Random, how does one find their position in Christ Jesus? He said, well, generally, brother, sister, your position is made known by the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. And then it's also identified by whether you can do it or not. So he said, if a man claims that he's called to be a teacher, watch how he interprets the word. Now watch, watch how he interprets the word. Now he tells us again a question, that's your 61. He says, a man that says that he's called to be a pastor. Well, he said a pastor cannot be a flighty person. He's got to be a calm, stable. So he gives us identifications to be able to identify what the rank will be. Now he said, myself, I always thought it would be good to be a pastor. He said, but I never was a good pastor and never will be. He said, because I got this Roman spirit on me. Now not R-O-M-A-N, but R-O-A-M-I-N-G, roaming spirit. And he said, I'm here today and gone tomorrow and I'm out there cutting the grass and I look at that airplane flying across the sky and I say, where y'all going? I want to go with you. Now he said, but God has those that are pastors. Praise the Lord. So God has those that are evangelists. God has those that are musicians, deacons, whatever they are. And every one of us will fight the devil to be able to find what our position is. And once we find what our position is, we'll fight the devil to be able to keep our position and be able to be satisfied when we find ourselves among others who hold the same rank but might be given more gifts than what we do. Now you see, we might look at men that are generals, I'll just carry it with this same thought, and there might be some of them and they fought in Iraq and they fought here and there and there and more you look at them and they got medals, 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 medals and there you're standing, you think, my goodness, mine look like they come from big lots. You know, I got them out of the candy machine, I turned the front, I paid 25 cents a piece for them and I'm standing there, if we're not careful, we will tend to say, well, I, I'm nobody. I, I'm absolutely nothing because I don't have all the great you know, armor and all the great awards and this and that and the other. Do you understand what we're doing when we do that? We are questioning God's own choice himself. It's not us that makes ourselves corporals or sergeants or whatever we are. It's Almighty God that makes us there and there is such great contentment when we find who we are. 
And we don't have to go around comparing, well, I wish I could preach like so-and-so. I wish I was like so-and-so. Be what God has made you and be the best that you can be and that's all you'll have to answer for. But yet there's something about the human being we always want to be more. Or depending on who you are, some folks always want to be less. <laughs> you know, so it's either more or less. So it's like we're never satisfied being what God has made us. And we can find here the setting of King Saul as we looked at it last week, that Saul had been anointed king. And Saul in his spirit and his makeup and his mentality was actually an epitome of the people. You look at the leaders of the day and you'll get a pretty good idea of the economy of the people of the day. Look at our people in the White House. It'll tell you a lot about where our nation is. Look at the governors. Look at the people that they elect to run the country. And if we got a bunch of stinkers in the White House, well, more than likely we got stinkers in their house too because they vote that in. Well, praise the Lord. And that's really what they want. Do you think an honest man would ever be able to get off the ground running for president? Do you think a man that would tell the truth, a man that would really stand for the principles of what our Constitution, our Bill of Rights and so on was established on, do you reckon that man would get 500 votes? You reckon they get a thousand? Why well, most people wouldn't have nothing for that guy. They want a man in there that's like himself. They want a shyster, they want a liar, they want a hypocrite, they want a two-faced politician, and they know he's lying to them. He makes them all these promises. If you vote for me, I'll tell you what, I'll make it so easy on you all. I'll do this and that and the other. And they've been lied to since they've been knee-high to a grasshopper, and they know them guys' lies, and yet they just, more they rally around them guys, and they get in there, and what do they do? Exact opposite of what they said they're gonna do, and some of them will turn right back around and vote a man for a second term. I mean, we are asking for it, aren't we? Aren't we? We are absolutely asking for it. But Saul was the epitome of the type of people in that age, and they were a people that had rejected God's leadership. God's leadership was going to be him being the king among them. And he would be able to dictate through the word of God of a prophet. They didn't need a king. But they said, we want a king like everybody else. We want to be like everybody. We want a church like everybody else. We want a preacher like everybody else. You sure got the wrong one here, ain't you? We want songs like everybody else. We want to live like everybody else. So that means you want to go to hell with everybody else too? Oh my goodness, not me. I'm willing to be different myself. I'm willing to have to sacrifice and give up whatever I need to do to escape hell. Yep, it's worth it to me. I think it's worth it to you too. So what God had done was chose a man that started out, as Samuel said to him, that when you were little in your own sight. Now notice the people had no doubt already rallied around him and tried to lift him up. Satan always does that to men of God. But it won't really bother the man of God himself what the people say until he begins to think in the same thing about himself. Well, you know what? I have got a little bit more than what my brothers do. I'm a little bit more gifted than other guys and our church is a little bit bigger and there's a few more folks who stream our service and stream the other guy and the other guy. You see, when those thoughts go start going through a servant of God's heart, he's already left that place of humility and he's already exalting himself above his brothers. 
Now, come on, saints, you know it's the truth. Now, Saul had actually entered into this place. This is not his first time of disobedience, but it's going to be the terminating point to where that he will actually reject God's word. And when we reject the word, God rejects us. But what's astounding about this is God rejected him after this instance, but he remained king for years. Now here he is walking in rejection and yet the blessing of God was still on this man's life because they still won battles. They still went through all types of different things completely out of the will of God from that time on. But yet he kept his crown. He kept his throne room. He kept his title. He kept all that was associated with him and yet the prophet said, God has rejected you. So if you'd been living in that day, you'd have called Samuel a false prophet because you looked at him and said, that man is still a king. The blessing of God is still on his life. He goes out there and fights battles and God gives him the victory and we come back and shout, glory to God, hallelujah. But according to the word of the Lord, God rejected him. Is that right? Now, notice how the prophet deals with this about our position. I would rather know, and I want you to listen to what an astounding statement. I'd rather know that I was in the will of God if I never spoke to another person than to preach to 10,000 people every night out of the will of God. So you mean a preacher could preach to 10,000 people every night and be out of the will of God. All you have to do is turn down a portion of his word. Now this is how much that Brother Branham loved the will of God and the value that he put on the will of God that he said if it was the will of God for him to never speak again. Now this would have been really quite a challenge for a preacher because it's in him to speak. It's just something there. It's beyond him. But yet he said, if it was the will of God for me to do so, I'd rather not speak to another person than I would to stand up before 10,000 people and be out of the will of God. I'd rather know the will of God. I hope we all feel the same way tonight. Now, notice he goes on to say down a little bit lower in this paragraph. What a privilege to find our place and there abide. Oh, my. What a privilege to find our place and there abide. Remember your life to children of Israel. Usher the historian says the book of Joshua, it took about 26 years to write that book. So we have beginning in chapter one, when God tells him that Moses, my servant, is dead. We move over to chapter two. We move over to Jericho. We move on and on and on for a span of about 26 years and they are fighting and fighting and fighting to get their land. Then we find it comes to the end of Joshua and moves over into the book of Judges. And then we find what? A different setting. The people have come in the land and now they're fighting to keep what they got. You understand that for many of us, we had to lay aside drinking or maybe smoking or this or that or the other. And you think, why? I try to become a Christian. Boy, my battles are all over. No, they're not. They just kind of change directions a little bit. Then you will fight to keep every inch of the ground that you have gained in Christ Jesus. 
You may fight for your health. You may fight for your revelation. You may fight for everything that you've got in Christ Jesus, but if it was worth fighting for initially, I figure it's worth fighting for to keep it. Oh, Brother Dottie, I thought I'd get to the place I won't fight. You will in heaven, but not until. Now, watch this. He says, what a privilege to find our place and there abide. No matter how the devil shakes and what he says or how he scoffs, listen to this simple advice. Stay right straight in the will of God. How many is that your desire tonight? Stay right straight in the will of God. Look again now, he says, just look at the Billy Grahams in the land today. But you know, Billy Graham could never take your place. I couldn't take Billy's place and he couldn't take mine. I can't take yours and you can't take mine. You're an individual in God. God made you the way you are for some purpose. If we would just find our place and then abide there. If we try to do something different then, we're in somebody else's territory. So then, if we try to move over into a position that God never called us for, we're in somebody else's territory. Now, many of you have heard me preach out in different conventions and churches and things, and you know that I preach different whenever I go out. I never preach with the same sternness. I never preach with the same uh, authority because I'm not a pastor when I'm in a convention. I'm not a pastor when I'm preaching in some other man's church. So I will preach different because it's the same man, but the administration will come forward in a way I always keep before me. This is not my congregation. This is not my church, so I will preach in a way as a visiting minister. Any man with wisdom will do the exact same thing. So when men who have wisdom about position come to preach for us and you hear them preach at home, they will preach different, and they should. If they don't, they still don't understand it yet. Why? Because it's a different administration. You know, Timothy was actually the pastor of a church. And yet Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now he didn't say he was one. So Paul wanted Timothy to go out and be able to minister in other places, but he wanted him to know when you go out, Timothy, don't go out and try to pastor another man's church. Well, praise the Lord. I'm sorry y'all didn't know this. You're not supposed to go out and pastor another man's church, but you go out and you mix a little bit of pastor and a little bit of doctrine and a little bit of evangelism, and then it all heads up, hopefully in a good meeting. (laughs) But then if I went out and preached to them the way I preached to you, more than likely they wouldn't want me to come back because they say, he ain't got no right to say that to me. And in one sense of the word, they're telling the truth. And sometimes evangelists have come to our church. As a matter of fact, there's been a few I've had to talk to because they come to our church and it's almost like they acted like they was the pastor. And to me, they cross a line, a certain place. Well, come on now. Now, let me ask you folks that still got little young'uns in your house or maybe big young'uns, would you want everybody in the church whooping your young'uns? Really? You mean y'all have a problem with that? 
Y'all have a real problem with it, would you? Okay, all right. Well, you see, God made a pastor so that a pastor can wear you out. I mean, tear you limb from limb, tear every bit of the hide there is off of you, and you waddle out to the car, and you say, glory to God, I'm coming back Sunday. If I can get back. Hallelujah, that pastor wore me out. But I'm so grateful for a man of God that'll tell me the truth. (laughs) But if an evangelist comes in there and steps beyond his boundary as an evangelist, and you know you've sat in them types of services before, and maybe the evangelist was saying the truth, but he wasn't the one to say it. And it just didn't go over right. It didn't feel right. It didn't work right, and at the end of the service, you was a little bit aggravated. And you wasn't aggravated in a good way. Well, I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. Well, what was it? Well, you see, if we're not careful, whenever we go to intermingling in that, we'll cross from one right over into another. And it's the same way with the prophet's gift. There's only one of them to an age that's gonna come like a prophet messenger. So Donnie Reagan, any other preacher, has no right to move into a position of a prophet of the age. Well, praise the Lord. Well, Samuel was the prophet of that age. Saul had no authority to look at Samuel's words and try to decide if they were inspired or not. Oh, praise the Lord. Now, I want you to notice how Brother Branham identifies this. He says, then we're in somebody else's territory, which we just gom. Don't you love that word? Gom. We gom up the picture of God. So you mean simply moving, say an evangelist moving out of his territory and he's in a visiting in a church and he moves over into a pastor thing. Now that anointing is here. That anointing is here as a pastor. I hope you understand that. That's gonna be harder for an evangelist than what you realize because that anointing is here. And you will sit there and take it for a bit. And he's got just a small window by which God will merge that over into it and it'll be fine and dandy. But if he stays there too long, he'll overstep that place and he got over into the pastor's territory and he gums up his sermon. And then they wonder sometimes why it don't go over. Now, them's invisible lines. It's very hard to define where they are. It's very hard when you're out, especially when you preach fast, you're preaching 90 miles an hour, and you're still trying to keep them lines before you. So it's like you realize you've got lines here on both sides, and you've got to be so careful because you can't cross over. Well, so you can see once a person becomes elevated, they do away with all the lines then the way they're looking at it, they're just as important as a prophet. They're just as important as any pastor anywhere. They'll say whatever they want to say, bless God. Ain't nobody telling them what to say. Well, that's a person that's full of themselves. They are a stuffed shirt. That's what the prophet called them. Now, notice this. If you try to take the ball away from your own man, Now, for those of you who love ball, whatever shape it's in or whatever color it's in, you should be able to identify with this. If you try to take the ball away from your own man, you're just messing up your team. 
guard your match. See, keep guarding him, keep the rest of them so he can make the run and we'll have the touchdown. So you know what kind of game we're playing this in this spiritual synopsis? He's talking about football. So then if the man, your man, whoever it was, had gotten on your side and oh my, we're out here on the grass and well, not us because I ain't gonna get out there and break my bones. But you all, you all are out there running and then your guy grabs a hold of the football. Here it goes way out yonder. Oh, he's got it, he's got it. Oh, here he comes, here he comes. And my everybody, Big Pete and all these big guys, here they come, halfback, quarterback, no back, little back, whatever they're called. They get out there in the middle of it, out of my way, out of my way. Well, that guy, he may not be able to run. He may have all the muscles. He may have all big bones and everything like that, but maybe he can't run so fast. But this little old wiry Jonathan, he's got the ball. And here comes little old skinny Jonathan. If it turns sideways in rain, he can stand under a clothesline and use it for an umbrella. But here he comes. That little fella can fly across through there. Well, what a big old Pete said, hey, little John, get out of the way, man. Let me have this ball. And here comes big old Pete running down through there, man, he's a going, he's going, and somebody simply puts out their toe and Big Pete goes flat on the ground. Little Jonathan could have jumped right over the top of it and kept right on a hopping. But you see, we need one another. But would we want to put little Jonathan as a guard? Not unless he's guarding ants. <laughs> would we want to put little Jonathan to guard some 250 pound guy? He'd pick him up and swirl him around on his finger. But we need some big guys with muscles. Some guys with some brawn about them. But we might need a little wiry spindly guy that we can throw that ball to. And here he goes like grease lightning. And I say, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Oh, you say, I wanted to pack that ball. What you want is to win. So we want the one, hallelujah, that can get us across the line. If he does it, we all win. If you do it and can't do it, we all lose. Of course, I know none of our people who play sports are interested really in winning. It's just all about playing. It's just all about being around for the fellowship. You'll go to hell for lying. You know these people that spoof you and spam you all the time? They get emails and return uh, texts from me probably like no other. Because every one of them that spoofs me I sent some today. I tell them this, you go to hell for lying. Repent, repent, repent. They want your password, they want your email address. Well, that's the way it is. In reality, if we say, oh, I'm the whole team, you, you're the whole team. You see, that's what's wrong with me. The messed up people around the message, they think they're the whole team. That's why they don't have to go to church. You're gonna get run smack over. You're gonna need somebody that can make a touchdown. You're gonna need somebody that'll stand with you when you don't know what to do. I'm so glad I've got people that love me. I'm so glad I've got people that pray for me. I'm so glad I'm not in this life alone, aren't you? Notice how it says this. 
will, will have the touchdown after a while. And Jesus will come. So what if we're one touchdown away from the rapture? But some man, the message, people are fussing over who gets the ball. <laughs> Is that what matters? Is that what matters, who gets the last one in? Is that what matters, who has the most miracles and who has the most shouting? Is that really what matters? Let's make the last one so we can go home. I don't know about you, I'm sick of this place. I'm hating this place worse and worse and worse every day I'm here. We'll have a touchdown after a while and Jesus will come. Then it will all be over. I love the way he says this. The Lord bless you. So we need these little wiry guys. Little old skinny fellas that can run. We need this big brawny guy. He takes up two seats. Well, we need him with them big wide shoulders. We need people that are sensitive. We need people that pray. We need people that have a burden for the shut-in. We need people that have a burden for those. Whenever you see somebody, and there's been two or three services, and they ain't been to church, and you say, I'm wondering about so-and-so, or so-and-so, reckon where they are. Well, maybe you should call them. Maybe you should say, hey, brother, I've been missing your church. Are you doing okay? Or you say, well, I shouldn't do that. You shouldn't. Well, should not your body operate in one function? So if the the liver goes to acting up, shouldn't the rest of the body go right toward it and help that body? I'll tell you, friend, we need one another now more than we have ever needed one another. And the devil is going to try his best to tear us apart. First Samuel 15, 12. When Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, watch this now, these words. He set him up a place. Now what he's done, he's made a memorial. These are the words. He's made a memorial. So he's been out there fabricating and making this, this memorial. To what? This battle he just won. Defeating the Amalekites. So instead of setting up a memorial to God, he set him up a place. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Preachers have to watch this. God will go to use them and they'll go to talking about it and talking about it. If you're not careful, you hear them talking about their self more than anybody else's ministry. And it's like their church is the only one that's alive. Their church and the message is the only one where God is moving. Well, just in case you're wondering tonight, let me let you know, our church ain't the only one that has a move of God. As a matter of fact, there's a move of God all over this world. I'm talking about in India and Africa, all over the United States. It ain't just two or three different churches. Oh, and everybody's gonna flock to them, two or three churches. I want you to show me where God's prophet taught that. I want you to show me where Brother Branham would get up and tell people and pull on the people to move to his church. He never done no such a thing. And I ain't gonna do it neither. And I don't want you doing it. 
We only want here at this church who God wants at this church. I don't want them coming here because our music is good. I don't want them coming here because we got a new building. No, if they feel led of the Lord, they want to come here and they're led of the Spirit of God. I want them to come because the Word is right, the Spirit is right, lives are being changed. Forget the building, forget how pretty the music is, forget the big Sunday school rooms, forget all of that. Is God there? That's what I want to know. Is God there? If they're coming for the Word, they'll stay. If they're coming for a gift, then when the man with the gift dies, what happens? Oh my. So Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Notice as we look here in verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul and said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Boy, he's religious, ain't he? Glory to God. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. My goodness. This is scary, friends. And Samuel said, What meaneth this bleeding of the sheep? Meh, meh, meh. Oh, well, (laughs) I didn't think you was inspired when you said that quote. So I used my better judgment about it. And I felt like, you know, I mean, I wasn't really sure if that was the word of the Lord or not because actually... Uh, Samuel, if you'll remember, you never said, thus saith the Lord. So I thought it would be best if we brought these back as a sacrifice to the Lord. I tell you, friends, it scares me when I see the way folks in this message handle this message. They cut and slice and pick and choose. And if it don't suit them, they don't read them. It's amazing how many preachers do it. I've sent preachers for years, decades, quotes, when they'd be off on this or that or the other. <laughs> you might as well send them bubblegum wrappers. It don't mean a bit more to them than nothing. Well, I don't, I don't know what you think about a preacher like that, but in my book, a preacher like that don't really believe the message anyway. If God's prophet was entrusted to be able to call a bride out for Christ, is he not entrusted to tell us how to set a church in order? And to tell us how we ought to do this and do that and the other? Are we going to be like Saul that we're going to exalt our opinion above a vindicated prophet's message? Not me. Well, praise the Lord. And Samuel said, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the kind of leader he was. He couldn't admit he'd miss God. You see, God tries preachers 
He tries them. He'll give them so much, and then he'll try them. He'll see what they do with it. How do they use it? How do they channel it? Do they channel it toward them, toward their church, toward their name? You realize what a lot of men have done, friends, down through the ages. I was thinking about Oral Roberts today and A.A. Allen and many different ones that we could name in the era when Brother Random was here. Of course, Oral Roberts left a university. A.A. Allen went out to Arizona and bought, uh, you know, all this property out there in Arizona. Still there. It's still there. Miracle Mile. So he bought all these acres out there to be able to establish this place. John Alexander Dowie goes to Chicago, Illinois. For those of you that don't know it, the little city there was a little city called Zion, Illinois. John Alexander Dowie was part of the ones who founded that place and it was going to be a heaven on earth. The original part of Zion, Illinois, all of their streets have biblical names. Is that right, Brother Joe? You always live there, Brother Gary. So it was going to be a heaven on earth. What was it? It was him building a war memorial. And what did he leave? Zion, Illinois, and what's it turned into now? Well, it's just a suburb of Chicago, just as filthy and rotten as all the rest of them. What did Oral Roberts University turn into? About like any other university. Well, come on, somebody. And then I got to thinking, and what did William Branham build? I've traveled different parts of this great United States. I've seen many bridges. Many roads, many highways named after Billy Graham. Or Roberts, this one, that one, the other. I got to thinking, Brother Pete, what was it that God's prophet left to us? A university? (laughs) Yeah, right. Was it a great memorial somewhere? Did he build a, you know, $50 million cathedral? Well, go to 8th and Penn Street, and you can see. So did he leave us a college where we could send the youth? Well, or Roberts University, ORU, so maybe we'll call this WBU, William Branham University. But what did he leave us? The Word of God. A restoration back to that word. Now his gift superseded all of those men put together. Had more supernatural, more visitations from God than all of them men put together. Millions of dollars could have been in his hands at his disposal, but he didn't want it. Why? He did not want to build a war memorial. I done this. I accomplished that. What did he leave? A message. A message that would reach to the black, the white, the red, the yellow. Hallelujah. It would reach across racial barriers. It would reach across financial barriers. It would call us together from around the world. There has never been nothing like it and never shall be again. He did not leave a memorial. He left a message. A message. And then you know what's sad? 
then a bunch of self-centered preachers go to getting in it. And what do they do? Go to building their own memorials. Oh yeah, they call them by different names. Seventh under this, Perusia this, return this, this, that, the other. What is it? Preachers trying to build themselves a memorial. Brother Donnie, what are you gonna build? I hope it's all of my heart. I'm building sons and daughters of God. I don't want nothing after my name. I don't want nothing to for you can remember if I go by the way of the grave. Well, let's pick up some this and that and the other so we can remember Brother Donnie. No, the greatest honor you can ever do to me is live what I'm preaching and pray and be filled with the Holy Ghost and live a life that is so pleasing to God that when the rapture comes, you go away. Then we'll stand together that day and I'll be able to present you with the seventh church age messenger and we'll walk in under the banneke, oh glory to God, of Malachi 4. Oh my. Look in 1 Samuel 15, 3, what actually Samuel said. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Now listen, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now he knows he did not do exactly that, but he is convinced but somebody's convinced. I did what God wanted me to do. Look at this great victory. Hallelujah. I still feel it all over me. Glory to God. Boy, oh, that's, that's, that's it right there, ain't it? It's not how much we obey God, but it's what we can do. I'm, I'm going to give God this, and I'm going to give God that. All I give him, I'm going to give it to him along with obedience to his word. Because if I don't, I will present to him my works and my disobedience will cancel out everything that I've done. But Brother Donnie, I'm sincere. That ain't enough. Mark chapter seven, how be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Can you imagine millions of people going to church every week, worshiping God, praising, have their praise bands, have all that sort of thing, worship, sing, cry, get emotional, sincere as they can be, absolutely sincere and lost. Why? They're following the commandments of men and make that their doctrine. You can show them what the word says. Ah, my pastor don't believe that. Now notice back to 1 Samuel 15, 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil on the side of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. My goodness. And have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, was that what God said? But watch what he does. He merges his will, 
his thought in with the promise of God to make his will and God's will appear to be the same. Friends, this is what gets all of us in trouble to this very day. When we will try to reason with this and reason with that. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, my goodness. You know, we're living, my goodness, we're living in 2023. Surely God don't expect us to live live this way. He does. Yeah, he actually does. And God expects preachers to live way too. God expects preachers to obey him. As a matter of fact, he expects them more than he does anybody else. But a lot of times preachers are the one that pushes the boundaries. (laughs) See what they can get by with. Oh, my goodness. Preach, Brother Donnie. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed. How can you utterly destroy everything when the king is sitting right there? Well, maybe said, I felt led. Well, hey, you know what? I've done been around for a long time now, and I've done found out with a lot of folks that right there overrides any scripture, any quote. Well, praise the Lord. Well, y'all be praying quick. I get off this part of this series, won't you? <laughs> Notice verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the thing. I agree, I agree. Okay, okay, okay. They should have been destroyed. Okay, are you happy now? You see, you can watch his attitude and see. He finally just goes ahead and admits a little bit of it, but admits it with an attitude. Still, he continues to lay blame on the people. After all, who was this guy? King Saul? King Saul? King Saul. And Saul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not right. Look, look, consult the prophet here. Oh, my goodness. So Saul added pride, lying, passing the blame, rebellion to his stubbornness. My goodness. I, I went home. Wednesday after last Wednesday service, so this on my mind went to bed, but that on my mind got, got up the next morning on Thursday. And I started studying just on the word obey. Went from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. Then I looked at obeying and obedience. Every form that I could find, obedience, obedient, every word that I could find in the scripture, I was just absolutely overwhelmed to see how much God loves obedience. And even though it may be simple to us and sometimes we don't even understand his will about it. For us to give him praise in trials, when you do it, you're obeying him. And that pleases him when you do it. Notice Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight. Remember we read this last Wednesday night. Pleasure, desire, Longing, so God longs, praise the Lord. God longs for this type of something from his people. 
Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So this is why many of these people that we've been reading about in Corinthians will stand there that day and their works will be a total loss. So preachers that have preached their dogmas and their doctrine, every woman preacher will be a totally lost when she stands there. There'll be some of them that'll be saved, yet so as by fire, but they will lose every work they've ever done. Every missionary that has baptized people in an adultery baptism. Do you understand the prophet teaches us that when you're baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, that is an adultery baptism. How can you be bride, married to the bridegroom and have an adultery baptism? Praise the Lord. So they'll lose everything. It's like they will stand there and insist that they just got saved like the thief on the cross. Yet they were a theologian. They were a preacher. They were this, that, the other. And they're standing there expecting all these rewards and they look behind them and there's absolutely nothing. Nothing. Oh, Jesus. Don't let that happen to us, Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, this is why Brother Branham could say this opening quote, that if he would be in the will of God to never speak to one more person, and that would be the will of God, he'd rather do that than to speak to 10,000 a night out of the will of God. Why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. So a person sacrifices their strength and they give up this and they do that and the other. But if they're disobeying God as they go along the way, what's it going to be attributed to? They'll lose the whole thing. All be in smoke. Notice, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken. Oh, my. To hearken. To hear. Be attentive. Heed. Pay attention. Listen. So to hearken is better than the fat of rams. Now remember who's saying this. This is Samuel, which is a Levite and a prophet. He knew how important the sacrifices were. He knew they were a requirement of God. But look what he's bringing right along with that requirement of the sacrifice. If you don't have obedience, them sacrifices are in vain. Then we come to verse 23. For rebellion. Now what are we talking about rebellion? Why would he mention rebellion? Because this is what Saul did. So he rebelled against the teaching of the prophet, the word of God spoken by the prophet and exalted his own opinion above that word. Well, I just don't think that's necessary. I just don't feel that we need to do that. I just don't think that we, our, our kids, I just don't think they need to get all worked up and get a Pentecostal experience. I know you don't understand, but there's a war going on right now in the ranks of the message. It's a war on one side that's for emotion, for prayer lines, for the supernatural move, and then the other side in the message is against prayer lines, preaching against them, against people falling out, against people getting emotional, against people worshiping God and trying to find quotes and scriptures to back it up. 
Well, I'll tell you one thing, any preacher comes here and goes to preach tonight here, I'm gonna back him up against the wall and tell him there's more quotes and there's more scriptures. Uh-huh, come on now. Because you know what that preacher's doing? He's doing exactly what Saul did. He's taking the quotes he wants. Oh, but he won't take them quotes in invisible union. Well, the prophet of God said they don't want none of them tongues speaking Acts 238 young'uns around. Uh-huh, they don't want none of them, but he said that's the only kind the word can bring forth. They don't want that second Adam's children way of acting like they did on the day of Pentecost. Come on, somebody preach with me. I'll tell you one thing this prophet said, it is our right in the church age book. It is our inalienable right to be exactly the church that was Mark 16. Yes, I believe in laying hands on the sick. Yes, I still believe in casting out devil. And yes, I'm still gonna have prayer lines. And yes, I'm I'm still going to shout. And yes, if the Holy Ghost moves on me, I'm still going to jump. I'm still going to speak in tongues. I'm going to worship God because it is my right as a child of God. It is my right to have victory. It's my right to have peace. And if you don't want it, go on back to the church of Christ. I know some of them preachers know them quotes because I've sent them to them. You think it alters them? Absolutely not. Why? They're like so. They'll take what they want and they'll stand, bless God, I'm preaching what the prophet said. No, tell them the truth. You're preaching part of what the prophet said. How can this prophet come and preach something different than Jesus preached? Remember who it was that gave the commission in Mark 16. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a prophet. If the Lord Jesus didn't want his children laying hands on one another, blame him. He's the one who said, they shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. It wasn't Brother Branham that gave the commission. It was not Peter. It was not Paul. It was the Lord Jesus himself. They shall speak with new tongues. And somebody said, they shall. Glory to God, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. Brother Donnie, we was hoping as you got older that you'd get more wisdom and you'd calm down. <laughs> if I get in a wheelchair, I'll be the only preacher in the message with wheels, popping wheelies on my wheelchair, shouting under the influence of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. It ain't got nothing to do with your age. It's knowing that you're born again. The only thing I can figure is into these message preachers that's against emotion is because they ain't never been born again themselves. Why in the world would any preacher fight the baptism of the Holy Ghost? If he's ever had it, he'd want everybody to get it. 
He'd want his children to get it. He'd want his grandchildren to get it. He'd want everybody in this church to get it. Brother Donnie, you just say that because you come from Pentecost. No, I say that because I come from God. <laughs> Let me close. For rebellion is that's the sin of witchcraft. So when any message preacher refuses quotes scriptures because of his own preconceived idea. He might as well draw a pentagram on the floor of his church and cut the throat of a goat and worship the devil. Because he's worshiping one less than the devil. He's worshiping himself. Well, I don't like this. I don't really care what you don't like. Brother Donnie, these pictures are disfellowship with you. What's new about that? <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm one of the most disfellowship preachers in the method. You think I'm going to worry about that? You think I'm going to set up tonight and lose one wink of sleep over a bunch of Baptist preachers sending a message pulpit when they shouldn't even be there in the first place? Not born again, not filled with the Holy Ghost, not got a word burst, and don't want their people shouting the victory of God, don't want their people to be healed, don't want their people to be delivered. That man ain't got no right being in the pulpit saying he's preaching the gospel. The gospel makes God's children free. It breaks the yoke of sin. It breaks the yoke of unbelief. It will make you free indeed. Hallelujah. It will make you free. Friends, you see what rebellion does? It dethrones God. It dethrones God. And sets up who, whatever man it is, that you're taking over God's word, then you're setting him up as your absolute. And if it's your mama, well, you move God out of his throne, you got your mama sitting there. If it's your daddy, Uncle so-and-so and ain't so-and-so or your rotten self? Well, I don't believe and I don't think. You've got yourself on God's throne. You dethrone God. Who are we? Who are we to dethrone the Almighty? Dear friends, it's going to be a fearful thing one day. I said a lot. It's really, it's really sad that these folks out here, where they're going to stand when it comes to the message and being judged by it. But you know what's worse? People who say they believe it. And preachers leading the pack. And will pick and sort and pick and sort. And exalt their opinion above a vindicated prophet of God. I've sent preachers quotes after quotes after quotes through the years, and I think maybe they're ignorant. Maybe they don't know no different. 
And you send them page after page after page after page. Don't even affect them. And they'll text you back or email you, thanks for the information. And you say, information? Information? Oh, my goodness. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. What's the Hebrew word there for idolatry is teraphim. So a teraphim was an idol made of clay, wood, whatever. So you can imagine that the prophet is telling Samuel, it's, it's equivalent to idolatry. Oh, my goodness. So for a man to commit a sin and be proven by the Scripture or the message that he's wrong and go right on in his obstinacy, God have mercy. No doubt every one of us here tonight are believing things that's wrong. We just don't know it yet. But a real son or daughter of God that's filled with the Holy Ghost, you show them where they're wrong, they'll straighten up. I don't understand how people can go for weeks and months and years and years and years and fight the very message they say they believe and think they're going in a rapture. God help us. God help us. God help us. God help us that we don't turn into such people by the skin. God help us that we will always humble ourselves, Brother Jack, before the Word of God and lay our stubbornness and our rebellion. You see why God so hates this? It comes from the devil. Stubbornness is not from God. It's from Satan. Rebellion is not from God. It's from Satan. Look at it all down through the Scripture. Look, and the children of Israel rebelled against Moses. Look, and they rebelled against this leader, that leader. Even though they were the called out people, but they rebelled against God's chosen leader, and look what God done to them. Nathan and Korah raised up, oh, we'll do this and that and the other. Moses, he don't know what he's doing. We'll do this and that. You understand what they did trying to split the children of Israel? You understand why God looks at that? When people rebel against God's chosen leader, it is open rebellion against God himself. They looked at Moses, oh, he's a man. He's just doing this and that. They're nothing but a big family deal. Look at his sister. She's in charge of the music department. She's the one who does all the shouting, all the singing, playing the tambourine. Look at his brother. He's the high priest. Look at his nephew. He's the priest. It's a whole family deal. They look at it and say, there's more here than Moses. I'll tell you one thing, but God said, step back and I'll destroy him. Why? They rebelled against God's choice of the leader of that move. When message preachers exalt themselves above God's prophet, they're doing the same thing Dathan and Korah did in the wilderness. Well, God sent Brother Branham, of course, as a prophet, but God sent Brother so-and-so up here in the Northeast to add clarification to the message, to make it 
more understandable. And then God sent another man on down in the Middle East so that he would be the teacher among the message. And then God sent another man over here and God sent another man over there. So it's Malachi 4 and you, Malachi 4 and you, Malachi 4 and you. So we gotta have Malachi 4 and you. And before long, Malachi 4 disappears and you're the one that appears on the scene. Riding your night, riding in white shining armor. Well, I'm fixing to buck you off this horse, pal. There ain't no scripture in the word of God that tells us there'll ever be anything greater. As a matter of fact, God's prophet said, if anything ever rises greater than this, I'm a false prophet. So I don't care who says they've got a greater move, they're a liar. I said they are a liar. God bless y'all. Sure love you. Let's bow our heads if you would. Hallelujah. Oh, dear God, hide me, Lord. Hide me. Hide me from me. Hide these people. Hide their soul from their pride, their obstinacy, their arrogance, their flesh. Oh, Lord. We don't ever want to become a Saul. We don't ever want to become one that picks and chooses and picks and chooses. Help us, Lord. The prophet identified his ministry to us when he said that 1962, that he hoped God would let him take the cloth of his word and dress his bride in it. And he said if he could find a character like Rebecca, then if he could get her to stand still long enough to be able to get her dressed in the cloths of the word. Oh, Jesus, we don't want to meet you in our filthy rags. Lord God, but we know that there was given unto us fine linen, clean and white. We believe it comes, Lord Jesus, with what you purchased for us on the cross by your blood. And then it comes by the washing of the water of the word of Malachi 4 in the last days. So it ain't no wonder then Satan will try to come and add this and take away that. Well, you know, we don't know if Brother Branham was in the flesh when he said that or not. We're just, we, we, we don't know. And, you know, after all, he was just a man. And that, that might have been some of his old Baptist ways. And I could understand some of these denominational people saying that. But message people, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stay clean of that evil spirit. Oh, God, we love you, Lord Jesus. We don't want to be stubborn. We don't want to be rebellious. Help us, Father. We want our church to be built upon the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Lord, help us that we can be faithful when you come. You're the one who asked the question, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith 
on the earth. You didn't ask if you'd find signs or if you'd find miracles or churches or music or emotion. But you said, when I come, well, I find faith. Yes, Lord, I'll answer your question tonight. You will. You will, because you sent your prophet to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the apostolic fathers. And when you come, there will be a people, if it's a day from now, five years from now, 500 years from now, there will be a people on the earth that believe your word. Praise God, it will be that omega bride. Oh, Jesus, we want to be part of it, Father. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the Lord? How many wants, wants God to help you that you'll never get that old rebellious thing on you? That you'll never exalt what you think or what somebody else thinks above the scripture or above a vindicated prophet. But we just stay with it. I don't understand it, Brother Tony. My goodness, friends, there's so little I do understand, but I'm going to obey it whether they understand it or not. We say, how in the world can you understand it? I don't say, what's well, so hard to understand whenever you say, I'm supposed to praise him in trial, I'll praise him in trial. If he says, women don't wear pants, then don't wear pants. Men don't wear your hair like a woman. Well, we don't do it. What's complicated to understand about that? We just obey what he said, and it brings God such pleasure. You think he don't look at us and know they're, they're questioning this and they don't understand that, and yet we do it because he said do it. That gives him double joy because if you understood it, then you say, okay, fine, yeah, okay, I understand that, but there's much about the word we still don't understand, and yet we do it with all the sincerity of our hearts because the word tells us to do it. My, when they cast your name out as evil, what did Jesus tell us to do? Leap for joy. Leap for joy and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Well, when they run you down, when they do all these things, praise the Lord. In the middle of trials, praise his name. Bless him when times is going bad. Bless him when they're going good. Just bless him all the time. And you say, well, I don't understand that. He didn't ask you to understand, he just asked you to do it. So in the middle of hell, you raise your hands and say, Lord God, I want to thank you for blessing me. I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you. And he just said, boy, that's my boy. That's my little girl down there. Look at her. She's going through all hell. And yes, she's blessing my name. The devil can't rob her of my praise. The devil can't rob her of her adoration to me. And it just brings such joy to our Father's heart. Not whenever everything is going good, but when everything's turning against you. And you just love him anyhow. How I many wants to be that kind of Christian? Just love him with all of your heart and praise him even when you don't feel like praising him. How I many like to praise him right here now? You may not feel like it. Well, maybe you're tired and you work today and you've done this or that. You say, you know what? The Lord told me when I come to the house of God to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I'm a little tired, my feet's a little aching, my hands are a little achy, but I'm gonna raise my achy hands. I'll tell you what, you might raise them achy hands and you might take them down, the ache's gone. The Lord Jesus might heal you while you got them achy hands stuck up in the air. Why? Because you're obeying his word. Obeying his word. Pray for them that despitefully use it. Well, you do it because he said so. And when you do it, he says, I want you to look at my young'un. All angels of God, I want you to look at them. Look at them. They're praying for their enemies. They're turning the other cheek. Look at them. They don't even understand why I said that, but they're doing it. They're doing it for one reason and one reason only, because they know I said it. Oh, praise God. 
Praise God. You know there's no scripture in the Bible where it ever says that angels and what they do like that brings God such joy. It's your obedience that brings him joy. Your obedience, they've never failed, but he does not get the joy from them that he gets from you. When you obey him and love him and worship him, praise God. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, we worship you tonight, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just love him a little before we go, can we? We got a little bit of time, don't we? Oh, if I turn you loose now, you'll go out there and stand and y'all run that mouth of yours for a while. So let's just stand in here. Let's just give a little bit of love to our Lord. A little bit of worship to him. Let's sing something, Harry. Pick out something for us. Oh, Jesus. We come here tonight to love on you, Father. We've come here tonight to bless your name. We come here tonight, Lord God, you said everything that hath breath, praise ye the Lord. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Praise him on the stringed instruments. Oh Lord, we're here tonight to worship you, Father. And then the prophet identified that one scripture when he talked about them stringed instruments as clapping our hands. So we clap our hands. If the whales can jump up out of the water and swirl around and around and sing their song, Oh, praise the Lord. And the prophet called the birds your radio. Oh, I love it in the spring and the summer and the fall because you're playing your radio early of a morning. Oh, my, I love getting out there early when the dew is still there and hearing your radio. It's, it's better than any news talk. It's better than Fox. It's better than all the rest of them. It's God's radio. Amen. And them little birds are sitting there just a chirping and a singing and they're worshiping God. Oh, hallelujah. They're not singing because they're trying to out-sing one another, but the Lord knew that I would need them. The Lord knew some of these children of his would need them. They'd go out and sit on the back porch and be all down and weary, and that little old songbird would jump up there on the clothesline, and he'd go to singing, praise God, praise God. And we're sitting there just worshiping God. Oh, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, you give us the beautiful color in the flowers. The flower don't look at himself and think how beautiful he is, but you made them for us. Lord God, how much have you placed upon this earth for our joy, for our pleasure? You give the birds a little song to sing. They don't all get together and go sing in some singing convention, but they sing with all of their heart and they're worshiping you. And a little daughter of God, a little son of God set out on the back porch so weak. They can't hardly go. And a little songbird will come through and land on the porch and they'll sit there and just sing and sing and sing. It's like heaven the anthems just coming down and blessing the heart of that daughter of God. Oh, Jesus, we've got so much to thank you for, Lord. You've been so good to us, Father. You've delivered us from the the power of hell. You've healed us when we've been sick, Lord God. You've raised us up when we were lost, Father. You're fixing to change our bodies, Lord. You give us power over cancer. You give us power over TB. You give us power over pneumonia. We've seen you right here Sunday, Lord. Heal several people instantaneously because you are a mighty God. We're not serving a God tonight that used to be or a God that we wish he was, but we're serving a God tonight that's a same yesterday, today, and forever. You still save the lost. You still heal the sick. You still raise the dead. You still heal cancer. Hallelujah. That's who you are, Father. And we're here tonight as your children to bless you. We're here to worship you, Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Sing Harry before I preach. I worship you. 
Almighty God. Almighty God. There is none. I bless you, Lord God. I bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Worship you. Oh, stand in tonight for Brother Darrell. Lance has a lot of back problems himself. Let's just join together as Lance stands in for Brother Darrell. Asking God to move for our brother. Heavenly Father, I sent those texts today to Lance because I knew he could be able to pray in a way that even I couldn't pray. Or maybe one of these other preacher brothers has not had back problems. So, dear God, I pray for Brother Darrell tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God move for our brother, Lord. I pray you'd not only move for Brother Darrell, but, Lord, may you move for Lance as well. You see the situation in his back, Father, facing a surgery if you don't move for him. But I lay my hands on him in obedience to your word. In the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God touch him, Lord. You see these other needs in his body tonight, Father. I pray, Lord God, the saints of God join together, Lord, not only the visible audience, but those streaming. Lord, we all love Brother Darrell and so appreciate him. We ask you now in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God move for Brother Darrell. Raise him up, Lord. Raise him up tonight, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God bring healing to our brother. Grant it, I pray, Father. Thank you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. I give you praise for you are my righteousness. I
by my neighbors detested mm, no peace within I was the talk of conversation for my multiple relations so shackled with sin at noonday as the sun was burning down I hid my face from embarrassment from my lifestyle so bad but Bless your name tonight, Lord Jesus. And the highest mountain looked all around, couldn't find nobody. Oh Lord God, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I walked the deepest valley, the deepest valley. Looked all around, there still couldn't, couldn't find, find nobody. nobody. Hallelujah. I searched all over. Yes, I did. Couldn't find, couldn't nobody. find nobody. Looked high, high and low. 
couldn't find nobody Cause there's nobody greater When I was in my deepest valley oh, oh, Looked all around oh, there still Couldn't find nobody I couldn't find nobody Hallelujah, Jesus Nobody greater Hallelujah Nobody greater Nobody greater than you Oh, hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord. How great thou art. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, my God. When I, help me now, in awesome wonder, consider all the world thine hands have made. Sing it to him with all your hearts. Sing it for us here. Tell him now. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout. Yes, Lord. The universe display everybody together now music then sing my soul my savior God to thee hallelujah how
son not sparing will send him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my birth gladly bearing for oh, he bled and died oh, to take away my sin oh, then sings my soul Sings my soul. 
my soul, my Savior God, to Thou 